Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Just Cause podcast, a six-part series of podcasts brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host, Sarah Henry, and throughout this brand new podcast series, I will be speaking to some amazing people doing incredible work to support Just Causes across Northern Ireland. I'll be speaking with Northern Irish charities to learn more about the very important work that they do and how they've been affected by the recent global pandemic. So wherever you get your podcast from, remember to keep an eye out for new episodes over the next six weeks and subscribe to stay up to date. So today I am very, very pleased to be joined by Seamus McCabe from Pips Hope and Support. Welcome, Seamus. Thank you, Sarah. No problem. Um, Just, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with PIPS. It's such a well-established, well-branded organisation, particularly within our our community. But just to give listeners a little bit of background information on this fantastic organisation. So PIPS Hope and Support was founded by Seamus McCabe, who joins me today, in 2003, after his son, who was 20, Seamus, tragically took his own life. His death had a devastating impact on his family and friends and the wider community. And so PIPS was formed to provide a forum for those bereaved by suicide or struggling with suicidal thoughts to feel supported, safe and listened to. The charity's remit includes suicide prevention, intervention, postvention, self-harm and trauma. And since its inception, the organisation's focus has evolved in response to community needs and has become a one-stop shop delivering its services across the Southern Health and Social Care Trust and Uri Morn and Down Council area, providing information, emotional support, counselling and compassionate assistance for those in crisis, those bereaved through suicide and those experiencing trauma. Their mission is to create a society where suicide and self-harm are no longer taboo and where suicide, self-harm and stigma can be replaced by hope, self-care and acceptance. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot in that um, in terms of the services that are provided. And um, I'm really looking forward to getting into the details of it. But Seamus, first, again, thank you for coming in to talk about um, your organisation and your role within this. Maybe just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself um, and maybe a little bit about how, in your own words, um, the organisation came about. OK, sir, thank you for inviting me in and I'm delighted here to be able to answer a few of your questions. Well, first of all, um, well, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a granddad, and, um, but I'm also the chief executive of PIPS. So um, you asked about the organisation. So um, as you say, it was formed in 2003 following the death of my son. Um, it became apparent at the time that where I was seeking support, um, it was a new concept for me. Suicide wasn't mm-hmm. something I was familiar with in any shape or form. And it became quite apparent at the time that there was no support there for families bereaved. And then it became obvious as well there was no support there for anyone who was in crisis and needed support. How it actually started at the beginning was um, I spoke with my wife and we and I thought about putting together something collectively where people can come together and, and, and talk about what the death that has happened has meant to them and where they were at that time. So I put a wee ad in the paper for any family members who would be interested in attending a um, support group in, um, in Drummondtown College. Um, and I put it out so for September of 2003 that they could attend at 8 o'clock. I was expecting maybe four or five families, maybe maybe four or five family members. But there was about 30 family members really? turned up on the night. My goodness. Yeah. So again, it was a surprise. Nothing I was prepared for. Yes. But it, it became quite... Um, it became 
quite noticeable then that every, each and every one of us needed to speak about what had happened. Mm-hmm. So we established ourselves initially as a support group and following on from there, we then decided that it wasn't enough. We need to be more proactive, that there were people out in the community that needed help, needed support. And other than the mental health services in the area, there really was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened next then was um, I went about establishing then, so did a committee. And then we had to get a name for the charity because we were developing ourselves. The name suggested was Shamaz. My son's nickname was Shamaz, right. S-H-M-A-Z. <laughs> and we were going to say suicide, help, maintain and awareness and support, spelled with a Z. Uh-huh. Me and my wife spoke about it and thought, uh, too many splinter groups. Okay. Maybe if we got a name that was synonymous with suicide and self-harm um, and had other organisations develop itself in the same way, it would be more meaningful. Mm-hmm. So at that time, Pep's Charity in Belfast was establishing itself. It wasn't Pep's Charity then, it was Pep's Project. Right. So we contacted them and asked them, could we use the name? And that's all we wanted to do was use their name. And they said, surely. And we said, well, we'll invite other groups then to use the name. <coughs> so the idea of the Pep's groups came from us. Okay. The pros and cons of that was, yes, um, we have established ourselves over the years and we have branded ourselves as a credible organisation. But we're all totally independent of each other. There's no connection with each other. And the the pros of it is, if you go into any town or village and hear the name Pips, well, automatically you know what's got to do with suicide and self-harm. You do, yeah. The cons of it is, people think that the Pips charity is the lead organisation. I see. And do the fundraising, and they get the money, and mm-hmm. we do the work. <laughs> right, okay. So... So it has, so it has, it has had its ups and downs. Um, uh-huh. Seventeen years now we've been going, and we've evolved over years. that seventeen years. Wow. We've established this as we now have got um, a range of services. Mm-hmm. Um, we've a range of counselling services from psychotherapy, psychotherapy, pardon me, um, psychodrama, integrated therapy, person-centered, cognitive behavioural therapy, art therapy, complementary therapy, play therapy. So we've got a range of different services that we provide. So that strikes me that it's also for very young people as well then, Seamus. So you're obviously providing to a whole range of age groups. Yeah, we've got two. We, we have a children's service and an adult service. Okay. So we provide, we've got we've got a split, so we have, and we've got two coordinators, two counselling coordinators. One coordinates the children's service and one coordinates the adult, the adult services. Um, on average, we're, we're having at this moment in time in, in, in about 120 people per month. New, new people, that is, coming into the service. And each of those clients will be receiving somewhere between eight and six sessions each. And each session will cost an average around about £50. So it's a fair expense to say, yeah. that, you know, for, for the amount of work we're doing. We've been very fortunate that the community has been behind us all the way and have supported us through fundraising. We're also funded at the moment in partnership with Action Mental Health Monsanto and Portadown mm-hmm. to provide the Protect Life services across the Southern Trust area. And we're also funded and that's by the Public Health Agency. Okay. And we're also funded by the Public Health Agency to provide the suicide bereavement services across the Southern Trust. Uh-huh. So we have got the support of, do, yeah. of the Public Health Agency and we work in partnership with the Trust. Brilliant. Um, we deliver a lot of training. Mm-hmm. We deliver both a health-approved training, assist, mental health first aid training, safe talk, and we also have education credit, shoulder-to-shoulder, which is OCN level two. And then we have bespoke training, resilience in the workplace, resilience in the school, the resilient student. Fantastic. And uh, we deliver them via Zoom and face-to-face. 
Brilliant. And that continues, I suppose, throughout the pandemic, if you're able to reach people through that medium online as well. Yeah, we haven't stopped. Yeah. We had to act very quickly on the 23rd of March when COVID kicked in. And we established ourselves immediately with Zoom. Now, it was a new concept and nobody had heard tell of it. (laughs) A lot of us didn't. (laughs) And suddenly everybody was in panic mode. Yeah. But today we're fine with it. And we're you get used to, to it. Yeah. And I suppose for, especially for young people, I mean, they're always, you know, they're more familiar with technology and online a lot, you know. It's not the case at all. Really? No, it's not. It's actually, the young people would prefer telephone contact as opposed okay. to Zoom. Okay, so, so it's less, yes, to kind so, of create that bit of a yeah. distance, do you think? Or do you think it's just a preference in I terms of just speaking to, to somebody people. as opposed okay. That's interesting. We still have face-to-face mm-hmm. because there are many who don't or can't avail of the mm-hmm. online services. So for that reason, we still have face-to-face, obviously taking into consideration social yeah. distancing and all of the, 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 the safety factors mm-hmm. that need to be included. So it's definitely, I mean, you provide a range of services there that I, I wasn't familiar with the level of service that you actually provide. And it's obviously fantastic that you get interagency support and you work in partnership you know, with governmental bodies and agencies as well. But just to get back a little bit to your mission statement. So in terms of, you know, the society that you envisage, and I suppose your organisation and everybody that works there, is there's this word that's very interesting to me about taboo and about creating a society where suicide and self-harm are no longer taboo. Do you think that that's still a very prevalent issue in terms of people maybe feeling afraid to come out and talk about mental health issues in general or bereaved families perhaps not wanting to, you know, speak to people as openly as perhaps you and the original members of the group were? Do you think it's about the taboo and does that still exist today? Yes, taboo still exists. It's only when it impacts on you that you feel it. Mm-hmm. People who have been impacted will probably say, you know, it's a lot more open today. We're talking about a lot more open. Mm-hmm. And we are. Mm-hmm. And a lot more, I have to say, a lot more people are reaching out for support and help. And that's a good sign. Um, but again, whenever it does affect you, there is a taboo there that sort of prevents you sometimes from seeking support. Um, the thing about suicide is um, there's an element of choice in it. And you sometimes feel as a, as a loved one who has lost someone to suicide that some of the responsibility might be put onto yourself, which is mm-hmm. never the case. Because we would say that's what's known as misplaced guilt. Because it's, con- it's common knowledge that anybody um, who has a loved one who's died by suicide would have done everything in their power to prevent it if they had been able to. Yeah. So the other thing then is it causes a lot of isolation. Uh-huh. People don't come back into the community as well. There is also the fact as well that lots of people don't know what to say when someone loses a loved one to suicide. Mm-hmm. They can't support you in the same way they would if it was a heart attack or a stroke. Yeah. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And that's felt by the families. Mm-hmm. So the families understand that, you know, that um, we're not getting the same support we would have expected to get. Obviously, COVID has also changed the dynamics of the support that's available. Of course. Because you're not allowed to visit people's homes. You can't get the same support from families and friends and sure. neighbours. So all of that is also impacted on the support yeah. the families can get. In terms of feeling isolated as well. Very then much. Too. So back in seven, 17 years ago, when you first had your initial group meetings and you were surprised by the number of families who turned out, have you seen a big difference and a big change then? I mean, that at that time for you was a surprise that that amount of people, you know, came forward to that meeting you had in Drummond Town. But... 
looking back on that, comparing, you know, where you and the organisation is now, I mean, you must see a huge kind of leap forward. But it's obviously the case that your organisation was a necessary um, service provider to the community, you know, and without mm. it, what would people have maybe done? Well, obviously, when we started off initially, you know, we were a small group of um family members mm-hmm. who had were trying to establish a charity where we are today is we've got a very credible and professional board of directors who um have got unknown skills that we can use many mm-hmm. many times you know we've got um a lawyer we've yeah. got uh, a chartered accountant uh-huh. we've got uh, a, a business director we've got a cardiologist we've got um a human resource specialist. Fantastic. We've got who uh, uh, the chairperson was the fundamental lead yeah. in the Southern Health and Social okay. Care Trust. Right. So we've got great That's professionalism. Fantastic. Yeah. Great team of staff. We've got eleven staff. Mm-hmm. Um, training, counselling, admin, mm-hmm. um, fundraising, and um, and then we've got a family support worker. The family support worker at this moment works with bereaved families, mm-hmm. and her sole purpose is to provide as much support, meaningful support. And again, help them with whatever their problems they're, they're mm-hmm. encountering at this time. Mm-hmm. So really, I mean, seeing the organisation grow from where it was to now, you're able to equip people within the community with the tools and perhaps, you know, a platform to maybe feel more open to come and share, you know, their experiences perhaps, and to feel that there is people there to support them, whereas previously that may not have been the case. So, I mean, that's a massive step. And just from being from Newry myself, you do see Pips. I mean, the branding, mm. it's there. It's very recognisable. And I, I, we say this to all of the organisations and charities that have been in this region. I mean, everybody might say this about their own region, but is particularly fantastic about supporting local community organisations and charities. I mean, it really stands out. Um, what is your experience in being in terms of fundraising, local support and, you know, how has COVID perhaps, um, if it has impacted that in any way and how do you see it going forward? Without a doubt, everything you're saying is very true. We wouldn't be as established today as we are without the support of the community. Um, they've always been behind us. Mm-hmm. Um, we've always felt their strength. We've always felt that we could actually go to them. Um, we've been very fortunate in that we have branded ourselves in such a way that people do respect the work we're doing and also we've seen respect coming back in, in the shape of, of volunteers coming and asking can they help us out um, people come and volunteering to do everything from counselling and what have you unfortunately we can't uptake we can't take those people mm-hmm. on we need to have trained people to do of the course. job well our funding hasn't changed any thankfully and um, the PHS is still funding some of our services um, we do however we have seen a, a huge dip in the fundraising and again COVID played a huge part in that okay. um, again most charities will say the same thing we've noticed it more so because we depend a lot on fundraising for most of our counselling services because they're not all solely funded so they are through the funding so you know, if there's any anybody anybody out there who would like to help us help support the counselling service, who would be interested in, in, in investing some money or a sponsorship or something along those lines, we'd be very very grateful. Um, again, we know that there's a vaccine, and we're hoping that this time next year things mm. would have changed. But this last few months, as again with many other businesses, we have also noticed that we have the, the, the decline in the money coming through the door, especially through fundraising. So, yes, it is a concern. There's still many, many people who can fundraise for us, and um, we've, we've had another 
bit of a, a loophole as well. As Facebook has took down our face, our birthday page. Um, oh, they done it. They do it. They, they do it every so often with different charities, seemingly. Right. So we've lost a bit of money that way. But again, um, if anybody's out there and they're willing to do a backpack for us or a street collection or do some sort of fundraising for us, we'd be delighted to hear from them. Fantastic. And to contact you, I suppose, Seamus, through the organisation or to go on Contact the, the Potty Heart. He's our fundraising. Okay. Potty Heart's our fundraising coordinator. But no, the community's always been behind us. Um, obviously, the vision I had 17 years ago has, has excelled itself. It isn't, I mean, where we are today, I had never, never pictured this. We're not finished. Mm-hmm. We're actually in the process of developing ourselves further. We've now been, um, we're now putting together Crisis Cafe, and that's going to be launched hopefully February, March 2021. We're in partnership with the Southern Health and Social Care Trust Mental Health Department. They're working with us on it. Um, that will be evenings and weekends. So that means then we'll have the full week covered. At the moment, our services are 9 to 5 Monday and Friday, 9 to 9 on Tuesday, 9 to 1 on Saturday. This will open up the service then. So Friday evenings, Saturdays, Sundays and Monday evenings will also be available for drop-in. Mm-hmm. Um, we're employing new counsellors as we speak. We're employing new family support workers as we speak. Great. So we're doing it because the service, of the demand. Yeah, the, that's what I was just going to say. The demand doesn't go away just because, you know, whatever we're facing at the moment. And do you, do you think as well, I mean, the, we're talking about demand now, the demand is still there. But what is your opinion, I suppose, on the thought about um, COVID and the pandemic maybe impacting more on people's mental health, young people in particular? Have Has your organisation been looking into that in any yeah. way? Well, obviously, we could see, as I said, uh, we're seeing about 120. Now, mm-hmm. that's about 30% up on what we had before COVID. Okay. So we can see that the evidence is there that COVID has now impacted on people's mental health and well-being a lot more than what a lot of people would understand. Mm-hmm. Young people in particular, um, isolation is not something that they're familiar with and not something they want to be doing. You know, we know that they're not able to go out and play football and do the boxing and socialise in the way that young people are meant to. So suddenly they find themselves that they're now sort of stuck in a, in a sort of a bubble somewhere with a couple of family members. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily work for them. So we are seeing a lot more young people coming into the service. Um, we're seeing a lot more men coming into the service as well. So there's more men coming in. Again, isolation is a big part of theirs. And then sure. there's fear of unemployment. Yeah. There's also fear of um, not having enough money for their mortgages and their bills. Um, and again, there's fear, so that is right, with regards to older people getting COVID. So there's a number of factors that we are seeing now that people are coming dust with. Mm-hmm. And um, and again, you know, we are working and doing as much as we can yeah. professionally with these people. Of course. And just in terms of um, some of the services you mentioned as well, and I know you do training and workshops as well, kind of more generic work. Um, how is that going with, I suppose, with young people in schools and particularly interested in about getting the message out there about um, mental health and the importance of, you know, checking in with people? And how, how is that piece, the educational piece going with the organisation? Going quite well. We have two trainers, Sarah and Joanne, and I have to say they're out in the schools, they're out delivering Kimmy 5, Take mm-hmm. 5, they're doing resilience, they're, they're doing Be Positive. So they're there, they're doing it. You know, we've been working with many of the schools right across the area the whole way through COVID while the schools were open. Yes. Obviously we've had to pull the plug a few times when the schools closed and rescheduled. But no, um, very much the schools are, are open for the mm-hmm. training that we are able to provide. And yeah. we're in the schools providing it. And again, um, 
it's only a matter of lifting the phone, asking us, and we can put the service in place sure. for them. Because it must be such a just knowing being married to a teacher and he's in a, an area with children with a, a lot of difficulties as well. And just that, just envisaging that type of service there in that workshop. Yeah. And it must be so um, great even for teachers seeing that being delivered in primary and secondary schools and whatever. It's so, so useful. So that's obviously a fantastic part of, of the organisation and another service that you provide. The resilience programme we have, we, we got a bit of funding from the Education Authority last year and we provided so did resilience training to 28 post-primary schools across the area right. and during that process we were able to redevelop the programme by listening to what the students wanted themselves yeah. so at the end of the 28 weeks we had a slightly different programme from what we started off with Fantastic. because we took the learning from the students yeah. themselves so you're listening to their messaging like and they informed it Brilliant. Like memes. I never heard tell of a meme. <laughs> when I first seen it spelt, I thought it was a meme <laughs> But those are sort of things I that I didn't young know it till recently. <laughs> and I'm not young though. <laughs> so young people can actually guide you towards their yeah. own learning. And I suppose that's the way they communicate and the way they, I mean, it's easier, you know, if you're you're doing it in a format that they're familiar with as well, that we might not necessarily know. And we might assume that this is the way they want something delivered, but it's fantastic. And we've seen that with a couple of different organisations as well, that really taken a step back and let the young people and the children you know, inform their messaging or their new branding or whatever it might be. So that's fantastic. It really, really is. So I suppose um, the, the cafe sounds like a very exciting new initiative. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's been a very hard time and challenging time for all businesses and organisations and charities, but in particular, charities and organisations that really are relying on, on community support. So it's great yeah. that that continues for you. But just in terms of, we'll talk about that in a second, but just if people are listening today, Seamus, and, you know, if anybody wanted to reach out to your organisation or, you know, if you've any support there initially for people who might maybe feel, you know, that they are suffering or they need someone to talk to you, what advice can you give anybody? Well, first of all, our doors are still open. Mm-hmm. Our office hours have changed slightly. We have our office hours, our, our opening office hours are 10 to 4. Mm-hmm. Although the office is open from 9 to 5, we have cleaning for an hour in the morning and then cleaning for an hour in the evening. So anybody can still come to the office if they need support mm-hmm. and they can still be seen immediately by one of our counsellors or one of our support staff. Um, the other thing is we're, we're only a telephone call away. So if you need to call us, call us on 028-302-66195. And again, there'll be somebody at the end of the phone then to take that call. If you call outside officers, you'll be directed towards the Regional Lifeline Service. And that's a 0808-808-8000 number. Okay, we'll post those numbers as well on the podcast text for people. What I would say is like, you know, don't let the isolation take ownership of you. Mm-hmm. If there's someone you can call and you just need to talk to someone just to hear someone else's voice mm-hmm. to feel to take the anxiety out of how you're feeling at that time, well, make that call. Yeah, you know, it's it, it might seem a little bit difficult at the time, but once you've made the call, mm-hmm. somebody's at the end of the phone talking to you. Mm-hmm. You know, try to identify who it is you want to be talking to. What we'd say to young people is, if when we're training them, we'd say, think of somebody in your head now that you would talk to if you're in a bad place, mm-hmm. and then if you get into a bad place. You've already identified somebody. You don't have to rethink it again. So yeah. phone them, make contact. Obviously, you know, social distancing and all of those factors play a big part in how you get support today. But the telephone hasn't gone away. The internet's still there. And there is a lot of support via uh, uh, social media and everything else. But be careful who it is that you're actually talking to. Try and get a professional where possible. Yeah. Um, but if not, you know, a close member, 
a close family member, a friend, somebody you trust. Mm-hmm. And especially that's so true with young people as well who maybe, you know, are in vulnerable positions online and, mm-hmm. you know, that's maybe their only outlet as well when they're in isolation to really make sure they're speaking to a professional. And as you said, Seamus has given the numbers there, but we'll reprint those as well. But it's just a phone call away, as you yeah. say, and your doors are still open. And it just seems that work hasn't stopped. I mean, it continues, as you said, demand continues. So just in terms of um, looking forward, the exciting plans about the cafe, what's your vision maybe for the, the years ahead with the organisation and how you might see things changing, if, if any? Um, well, as you said, I'm quite eager and optimistic and can't wait to get enthused by mm-hmm. the fact that we're going to get the Crisis Cafe. Yes. Um, and to know that we're the first... Will that be in Newry, Seamus? It'll or? be in Newry. We're actually yeah. going to be using, we're going to use our own premises in the okay. first instance. And again, we've already been talking to other community organisations to see if we can use their premises at some point Lovely. in the future. Um, but initially, at the moment, um, it's going well. We've got a governance body, we've got a focus group, we've got the premises, we're working with the trust. So really enthused about that. Can't wait for that to happen. Fantastic. It's going to be a big change for the community because it means then that we've opened up the services for vulnerable people beyond the 95 yes. You know, So that's a new idea for us. The rebranding, um, mm-hmm. yeah, excited about that too. It's going to the be rebranding sad. rebranding next year. We're rebranding yeah. next year. Okay. Um, and we're going to be choosing a different name, so we are. Uh-huh. T- and so that'll be exciting too. And there's a bit of PR behind that to make sure that people know who we are. We are, yeah, because you're so, like we said, you're so well established within the community. But as you say, if you have a new look and a new take on it, you want people to still know you're you're still, you know, the, the same organisation, albeit going in under a different... Exactly, you know, product, I mean, it, it, we're moving forward in a direction now that we're being positive about. We're not standing still. We don't believe in standing still. We're all the time trying to outreach our services as far mm. as we can and to as many as we can. And, and we've been doing that for many years. So... We don't see ourselves as having reached our goal. Sure. We're always so we are, right, you know, being progressive and looking, looking for the for next new move. ways yes. and new ways to deliver your message. And well, I'm overwhelmed by the amount of services that you actually provide. And just to mention as well, Seamus, you know, you, you just touched on there as well how people who are actually feeling like they need support and they need help might contact you. But also, I suppose, bereaved families who they continue to struggle. I'm sure it doesn't. It's go actually more away, difficult at the moment. Yeah, I was just going to say that. We would have had, we could have supported families in one unit. Uh-huh. So our support worker would have been in the family and supporting the families as, as, as one group. Yeah. That's not the case anymore. So what's happened now is the families are so far and widespread, they can't come together collectively. So we're having to, that's why we're employing another family support worker, mm-hmm. because there's more family members individually looking support okay. as opposed to in a group setting. Yeah. So it is a bit more difficult for the families. And again, you know, it's a concern that we've identified. So we're trying to eliminate that that isolation as much as we can and we'll continue to work with them as long as we can. That's, that's fantastic. So things continue. Um, matters are evolving and the organisation itself is clearly evolving. We hope that for everyone next year has a more positive you know outlook and and all the rest but um i'm just so impressed by by the services there and i'm sure our listeners um you know will really listen in what we're saying to people the purposes of the podcast series here is to raise awareness obviously of the organization we hope to have you in again at some stage James, maybe when you've your new um you know your new branding and the cafe crisis and all set Mm -hmm. up we'd love to talk to you again but to really raise awareness about the fantastic work and my goodness, it's no exception here. The work that your um, organisation, PIPS Hope and Support, provide is just second to none. And also to make sure that people continue to raise funds there. You can see that these services, you know, they require funding and in order, or, order to continue those 
vital services you need to have funding in place so for listeners will be able to our listeners will be able to donate um towards the link on our page towards the charities who come into this podcast so hopefully um they can do that by looking at the www.granitepodcaststudio.com so again Seamus thank you so much for Could coming just, in before we finish of Elsa, thank you very much we have our Christmas service coming oh, up yes let us know yes uh, normally it's a face to face service and normally we get about 250 people in attendance at it obviously government restrictions means that we can't provided that way. So what we're doing this year is we're actually doing it on the podcast from Our Lady of the Assumption, which is Drummond Lane Chapel for people who come from Newry. Ah, so yeah. Drummond Lane Chapel is doing a podcast at 3pm on Sunday, the 13th of December. 13th, okay. And again, anybody who would like to attend it can do so by, um, there's a website, so this is on our website, it's on our Facebook page, but it's also on the Drummond Lane Chapel. Chapel. Website, website. okay. Yeah. So you're just what's your website again, Seamus? www.pipshopeandsupport.org. Pipshopeandsupport.org. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's great. So people are coming up with new and innovative ways to um, channel and keep their organisations yes. out there, which is so important. So that's fantastic. And um, thanks so much, Seamus. You're Thank so you. good for coming in, and that was really, really interesting. So um, I hope everyone can join me next week for the season finale, where we'll be talking to Liz Cuddy. He's the CEO of the Southern Area Hospice Services. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Seamus. Thanks, sir. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.